this morning. Um, Father, I want to just say thank you. Thank you that this church is just you're the head. God, and there's times where we maybe don't do it perfectly because we're not perfect. But God, we're so grateful that you're in the mix of everything we do. God, as we look at the word today, I pray that you would give us really clear insight. God, help us to discern what your spirit is saying in a way that we can apply it to our lives, that we can discern, understand. Um, God, I pray against any sense of like condemnation. Sometimes we hear truth and we go into a place that's kind of self-pity, and I just pray against that right now. God, put a hedge of protection around us. We're going to talk about something this morning that's very spiritual. So God, I pray that the blood of Jesus would cover us. Pray that it would protect us. I pray that it would be the thing that liberates and frees us. God, give me clear words to speak and give the listeners ears to hear what your spirit says. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you all know, we're in a study of the book of Revelation. So we are going to be covering the church at Thyatira this morning. Um, that is in what is modern day Turkey, Asia Minor, and Bible times. And we've gone through three of the other churches. I mean, if you want to look backwards or listen backwards, you're welcome to do that. Our stuff is online, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, we're all over the place, so you could catch up if you miss some of it. And yes, I have heard your cry. <laughs> you guys, you're like, I'm crying, Pastor. I had some people say, you're giving us too much info, Pastor. It's too much. Slow down. I went, okay, I'll slow down a little bit. It's just really hard. When you study really cool stuff, I want to give it all to you. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to give you so much that when you walk out of the room, you're like, what was I supposed to take away? So I'm hoping that these studies are encouraging you and at the same time, trying to be thoughtful for how much information I'm giving you. So Thyatira, so, so far we've covered um, Ephesus. This was a church that left its first love. Um, and we talked about how easy it is for us to get distracted from the primary thing in Christ. Um, the next church was Smyrna. This was the persecuted church. This was the one that went through a lot of the, the Roman torture, crucifixion, burning, etc. There were lots of pressure in the church in that window. And then we talked about Pergamos. This was the immoral church. This is the church that was married to the world. Remember the word gamos, we get the word monogamy, which is one marriage. Pergamos is an immoral marriage. That's literally what the city's name means. You know, in this window, though, there were some things that were tough because Constantine established a national church. And at the same time, there were councils that were starting to be brought together to determine some of the primary doctrines in theology of the church. Now, some of you are like, don't care about theology, pastor. Just want to know I'm going to heaven. You know what? You do want to care about theology because you could buy into stuff that's not accurate. That's why I teach you this stuff. I know for some of you, you're like, as long as I'm forgiven, I'm good. Perfect. For others of you, you're like, I want the details. I want to be able to talk with my Mormon neighbor. I want to be able to talk with my Muslim friends and actually have enough equipping to know how to talk to them about things. So some of the depth for me it, like, I understand for some of you, are like, never going to use this. Others, you feel like you're getting equipped. I'm trying to run that fine line of the two, okay? Trying to help you understand a little bit more deeply than, than just what you're taught in the general sense that you're forgiven and you're going to heaven. So Thyatira, this is the idolatrous church. This is the church that idolized pagan worship, and they, they just embraced a lot of what was going on in the culture of those days, and they merged it into the church so you get this really like murky looking thing. Now, if you're doing the historic view, Ephesus ran through about 100 AD. Smyrna went through about 312, from 100 to 312. Pergamos 
was 312 to 606. This church is 606 to 1517 AD. This is when you see the Roman Catholic Church move to prominence. Now, as I talk about some of this, I'm going to touch on some Roman Catholic stuff. I grew up in the Catholic Church. Listen, this is not to slam anybody. This is really to say this. There's some things biblically that are inaccurate that they practice. Um, purgatory is an example. Praying to saints is an example. Praying to Mary as an example. There's several different things that came from this window of time. So I'll touch some of them. My intent is not to say anything negatively about the Catholic Church. My whole family grew up in the Catholic Church. There, a lot of them still attend the Catholic Church. Listen, and they love Jesus. Okay, so I'm not throwing stones. I'm just saying there's some things that were unhealthy. Now, the first pope came into being at this time, 606 AD. It was Pope Boniface III. Now, if you talk to Catholics, who will they say is the first pope? Peter. Got a few Bible students in the room. Remember when Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, and on this rock, I'll build my church. He wasn't saying, Peter, I'm building it on you. He's saying, I'm building it on the fact that I'm the Christ. And even the language in the Greek is big rock, little rock in those two statements. So we understand that from Bible study that that's not the first pope. However, am I going to throw stones at somebody? No, it's not, an, it's not an issue to die over for me, but it's still something to keep clear in terms of church history and understanding. What you see in this window is emerging of the church. You see emerging of politics and you see a lot of money. Okay, money, anytime you put money and religion together, what do you get? You say a mess. You get sin. You get all kinds of stuff. Money will often pollute the work of God. And you see this in this period, like the idea that, you know, the Vatican, I don't know if you guys have ever really considered this, but that's a political structure, and it influences the whole world. Like, don't, like, don't think small when you think Catholic Church. It is the largest denomination in the world. And listen, listen, watch me finish. That's a good thing. That means there's a whole bunch of Christians who trust Jesus. Now, I get there's, there's some doctrine that's not accurate. I understand that. But at the same time, let's not dismiss that Jesus, we're not going to get to heaven and Jesus is going to go, did you have perfect doctrine? He's going to say, did you trust my son as your savior? Did you invite his possibility for forgiveness? Like, I, I'm pretty confident of this. We're going to get to heaven and find out just how wrong we were. Pretty confident of that. Like, I'm a, I'm a student, man. I'm a guy, like, I love the, I love studying. I love reading detail. But at the end of the day, I think I'm going to stand before Jesus. Jesus is going to go, eh, that, you missed that one. Oh, and that one, and that one, and that one. And that. <laughs> I think he's going to do that. But yeah, I, don't miss the big ones, though. There's one God. Jesus is the Son, the Savior. Sent his Spirit to indwell us, to lead us in righteousness. Those are important, important topics. So when we look at this, you see a splitting of the church in this period, right around 1,000. AD, the Eastern Orthodox Church, or the Eastern portion of the Roman Empire, separates from the Catholic Church, and you get the Eastern Orthodox Church. Um, you also, in this period, you get the Reformation. How many of you have ever heard of the Reformation? Have you ever heard of Martin Luther? Anybody in the room ever read his thesis that he nailed on the door at Wittenberg in Germany? Fascinating document. Google it. Because what he did is he gave 95 reasons. That's why it's called his 95th thesis. Gave 95 reasons while the Catholic doctrine was inaccurate compared to Scripture. Does anybody know what the number one thing he pointed out was? Oh, this is great. He came against the idea of indulgences. How many of you guys know what an indulgence is? This is like, listen, you can go all crazy and stupid and live like hell. Just give me a little money and I'll forgive you. So people were buying forgiveness 
contribute to the church, contribute to the building of the church. Now, some of those monies were used for the church. Others were used to line their pockets. So he came against this. He said, this is wrong. You shouldn't be able to buy forgiveness. You shouldn't be able to buy, listen, salvation. And you shouldn't be able to buy people out of purgatory, which is a man-made doctrine, not a biblical doctrine, where people, when they die, they can go into a place of holding. And if we pray hard enough, then maybe God will still take them into heaven. That's purgatory. I mean, that's a very dumbed-down version. Those were all things. And Martin Luther starts and he says, no. How many of you guys ever heard the term Protestant? It is born in 1517 out of Luther's thesis. So they were protesting the Catholic doctrine, and thus there's a movement within the church, which is really the word of God, sola scriptura, only the scriptures, salvation by grace alone through faith alone. Can't buy it. These were all, this is a really important time in church history. Luther came against indulgences, the buying of forgiveness, the Protestant movement is born. Now, I'm going to say something to you. This is a great statement. This is St. Augustine. It's attributed to him, others as well. But, but this is how we should think about differences within the church. In the essentials, unity. Jesus is Lord. There has to be unity in that. There is one God manifest in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit has to be unified. There's one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. These are essential doctrines of Christianity. You can't waver in them or you end up with some sort of cultish behavior. So in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. Give people room to be different. Like if you go back to the, the church in Acts 15, all these people getting saved, they're like, hey, we want them to practice all the duties and things. Let's, let's get them circumcised. Let's get them practicing. The, and, and James, the, the, the elder, he goes, no, 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 no. Just tell them, don't eat things sacrificed to idols and, and flee sexual immorality. Just simple. Don't lay all the, the law on top of them. So he gives them a simple. So in non-essentials, liberty, but in all things, charity, love. We should be loving no matter what it is. So you can call inaccuracy, inaccuracy, falseness, falseness. But at the end of the day, if you do that in, a, in an unloving fashion, people will not grab it. Ever told anybody they're going to hell? How'd they feel about that? I mean, I get it. There's a time and a place to say that. But I think sometimes the church has embraced this idea that we should confront everybody. As best I understand it, the scriptures say this. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So listen, I think kindness goes a lot further. I'm not saying there's never a time to be corrective, but I am saying you need to be really discerned and thoughtful. So Thyatira, the idolatrous church. Let's jump in. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. And it says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the Son of God, whose eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this. So Thyatira, literally, it's the odor of affliction. In other words, this is the stench of, of mingling wealth and politics into religious life. So that is why this, this church is actually named that. See, this place was a center of paganism. It was very, very wealthy. It's interesting. This is the longest of all the letters to the churches, even though all of them are 8, 10, 12 verses. This one is the longest. Now, Thyatira, because it was wealthy, was known for having guilds. Anybody know what a guild is? This would be our modern day, we would call them unions. And by the way, I don't think anything wrong with unions. Don't start talking to me about that. I mean, Caesar, you're in the union. He's like, I love my job. No, but, it, but I, I just in all seriousness, these guilds, though, because of the environment they were in, they embraced pagan practices. 
So if you wanted to be a Christian and you wanted to work in Thyatira, you had to be part of a guild and the guild operated in pagan practice. So if you're a Christian, how do you work and not violate God? See, this is some of the backdrop of what's going on in this place. It's a very wealthy place. They did a lot of merchandising, but the only way you could survive is if you were part of this working environment. It was known for wealth. It was known for commerce. How many of you guys ever heard the, the name Lydia from Acts 16? She, she marketed her seller of purple linens. I got to do this. This is fun. I took this out of my notes, but the story's fun. So we know that that was happening that time. She was a salesperson. Now, after Paul comes to her, this is Acts 16. For those of you who want to go back, I'm just going to tell you the story because I think it's fun. This is Acts 16. Lydia says, you should stay and preach here. Like, in other words, lead more people to Christ. So Paul and Silas are going around ministering, and there's this little girl who's got a demon. And this little girl who's got a demon, she's taunting them. She's a fortune teller. She works in mysticism. And she's owned by somebody because she's a slave girl. So Paul and, and Silas, they're walking. Finally, Paul is like, he's over it. I don't know. It doesn't say what this girl was saying. I mean, she's like, oh, you really trust the son of God? I don't know. Was she mocking him? I don't know what she was doing. But Paul finally gets really annoyed and he goes, enough. Get out of her. And the demon leaves. Well, the people who own the girl who has the demons who's doing fortune telling and they're making money, what do you think they thought of that? Oh, they were not okay with it. So they, they beat him up. They throw him in prison. And this is where the story to me gets amazing. So they're in prison. They're locked up. And it says that they're praying and worshiping God. See, like, don't think prison like there's lights on. Think you're in a dark, wet dungeon, no lights. And it's nighttime and you're chained up. I don't know what they were singing. Maybe Waymaker or something like that. I don't know what they were singing, you know. <laughs> I don't know what. But it says that all of a sudden there was an earthquake. And everybody's chains were loose. And they come out and the jailer is there and the jailer is about to kill himself because the prisoners are getting out and he's going to get killed for letting the prisoners out. And Paul says to him, don't. And he preaches Jesus to him and says that he accepts Christ. Listen, he and his whole household. I've shared this with you guys. That's why I included this. I'm the baby of 12 kids. I'm the, I think, the second to the last in my family to get saved. My, my brother Steve was the first who leads worship here once a month, Jesus People Tent Meeting. One of the promises that my family prayed over the whole family was believe in the Lord and you and your whole household will be saved. All my siblings serve Jesus today. Now, some more devoutly than others, I'm not going to lie. We're not all pastors, <laughs> okay? But there is a, a resonance of faith throughout my whole family based on this promise. See, listen, you never know when you worship and pray what, what's happening in God's world. My, my encouragement is don't give up. Keep staying in there. Keep worshiping. Keep praying. Okay, so now let's, let's jump in. We're going to go through these five descriptions of what Jesus was doing in this church. So back to Revelation 2.18. This is the description of Christ. I'm going to read the same verse. It says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The Son of God, whose eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet like burnished bronze, he says this. So Son of God, the only time in the book of Revelation that title is used. So he's saying, listen, I am the guy. I have eyes like, these are all similes because he's saying my eyes are like flames. He's not saying I have flames coming out of my eyeballs. But this literally means the one who searches and he sees and he knows the minds and the hearts of people. See, listen, this is why I always encourage you. Go before the Lord and say this, test me and, and search me and see if there's anything wicked in me. 
Because when we do that, we're giving permission to the one whose eyes burn like fire to refine, to purify, to, to help us discover areas that we not, may not be surrendered to him. And he says, my feet are like burnished bronze, and bronze always speaks of judgment. And, and it's always judgment of Jesus' enemies. That's really important, because sometimes we think Jesus is coming after us. Listen, if you're a believer, he's, you're a child. And yes, he will correct and realign you. But, but some of this is him bringing judgment about the enemies that are coming against him. And we know this from Romans 16, 20. It says this, And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, and the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Listen, this description of Christ is that I'm in authority. I'm the Son of God, and I've taken dominion over works of darkness. I'm the one who brings judgment. It goes on, Now the commendation in every church with the exception of two, I believe, do not have a commendation. We haven't gotten to those yet. But this one in Revelation 2.19, he says this, I know your deeds, your love and faith and your service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than the first. Now, when he's, I just don't walk through these words. Deeds is literally your energy or your work. Now, listen, I'm pretty confident of this. Jesus is not talking about your employment, but he's talking about the heart with which you're employed. He's not talking about your ministry. He's talking about the heart with which you serve. He's saying, I know the work that you put in in my name. That's how you should think of this. He said, and listen, I know your love, your sacrificial service for me. I know your faith, your assurance that God is in control. I know your service, your diaconia, the, the bowing low to be a servant of the Most High is literally what that, thing, that word means. He says, I know it, that you have service from a right heart. I know that you have perseverance, that you come underneath difficulty, listen, and you remain. This is really important because for most of us, when things get hard, we have a hard time doing what? Staying put. Oh, man. Can I talk to you for a second? Yeah. <laughs> Mickey's like, yeah, talk to me, Pastor. Listen, one of the most difficult things is when the pressure is on to not busy yourself with other things. Like, uh, tell me if this is you or not. When things get hard and God starts, whether it's external pressure and God uses it, or it's internal pressure where God is transforming you, isn't it easy to just go watch TV? Oh, wait, let's make it something more productive. Isn't it easy to just go clean the garage? Put in an extra couple hours at work? Listen, I can tell you with great, those are good things that aren't great. Especially if God is saying, sit still. Especially if God is saying, come away, come talk to me. Come set yourself aside. Listen to my voice right now. That's super important that we pay attention to how God walks with us because that's how you get, that's how you persevere. You come underneath and you remain. And then he says this, that your works are greater. They're greater in quantity, quality. They are superior. And I love this. He finishes with this. You're doing better than when you started. I like, I was the consummate athlete when I was a kid that was like the most improved player on every team I ever got on. You know what that means? I got a trophy for being the stinkiest kid who got better. That, that's literally what that means. I always got the most of I'm like, okay, so I was terrible, and I'm doing, that's what Jesus is like. You weren't doing all that good, but you're doing better now. But then he has a rebuke. Let's look at verse 20 now. He says, I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they'll commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. You tolerate this. Listen, it literally means that you allow it 
or that you permit it. See, Jezebel does this. She teaches and she leads astray. And I'm, I'm going to get into this pretty deep in just a second. It's the next point. But I want to encourage you to like pay attention to this because this is a spiritual entity that is alive and well today. Yeah. And it operates, listen, it operates in men and it operates in women. Sometimes we hear the name Jezebel and we think that's only females. Now, before I even get into this, because I, I want to say this, don't look at other people, look at yourself. What did I just say? Look at who? Say, say, pastor wants me, come on, to look at me. Because anytime you do this, you're going to think, is that my wife? Maybe that's my husband. That's my pastor. That's my boss. My boss does that. He's super controlling. No, no, no. Look at you. Look at you. We're going to talk about looking at others too. But right now, I want you to focus on your own heart, not somebody else's. He says, listen, when you tolerate Jezebel, she brings in immorality. It's the word pornea in the Greek. It's sexual intercourse, perversion. Listen, pornography, it covers it all. LGBTQ and the rest of the alphabet or whatever. All of it. It says anything that's immoral, anything that's sexually perverse, she is somewhere in the middle of it pushing it forward. And then idolatry is literally sacrificing to false gods. Listen, here's the danger of the Jezebel spirit. She'll tempt you to compromise the truth so that it benefits you. Listen, Jezebel's husband was Ahab, and a lot of his prominence came about because she was manipulating behind the scenes. So it's, it's important that you understand, every Jezebel needs an Ahab. We're not going to talk about Ahab much this morning, though. The other thing is she tempts you to compromise the truth because you're just afraid. If I confront her, what will happen? If I do this, what will happen? If I do that, will they retaliate? See, Jezebel tempts us to defile ourselves both inwardly and outwardly. Because sexual immorality is an inward and an outward thing. Idolatry is an inward, spiritual, and an outward thing. It's a, it's a literal sacrifice. And it says that she calls herself. Anytime you get around this spirit, it's full of self-promotion. It'll always, like, I was telling my kids on the way to church this morning. I said, man, I have so many stories about this particular spirit showing up in our church. I remember one time a gal came in. And she was sweet enough. Like, listen, listen, you got to understand this. When a person is bound by this stuff, there's a soul in there that loves Jesus, even if it's inaccurate. It's not like they're totally off, off kilter. They're wanting to honor. And she comes in and says, I'm a prophetess. And I go, really? And I feel like the Lord is saying this. And I go, really? Well, okay, I'm listening. You know, I don't know. Like, I, I take everything as a grain of salt. I pray into it. I put it on the shelf. Like, I don't let people prophesy over my life. I, I let God confirm it. Amen. So she prophesied, this is what she says, where you want to go and the things you want to do, your elders will never get you there. Okay, and this is what I said back to her. If you're going to bring an accusation against an elder, do it by two or three witnesses. Why won't they get me there? What part of their life is immoral, unrighteous? I mean, I know these guys. These guys serve tirelessly. They serve you all of the time in front and behind the scenes. And she's coming after my elders. And, and I said, listen, what you're doing, and I corrected her. I said, what you're doing is actually unbiblical. You're dishonoring those who are entrusted to keep guard over your soul. That's, what, that's the calling of being an elder. You're called to serve and oversee and pray and, and serve. I, I go, where do you get off thinking that you can walk into a building and attack men that have been serving faithfully for years? And then I said this to her, listen, I want to help you grow. And this is how you can always know it's a Jezebel spirit. They're unteachable. She wouldn't listen. 
There was no listening whatsoever. And then she gave me this one, our former worship leaders. He's going to be my husband. I went, uh-oh. <laughs> I went, we're in trouble now. She's thus saying the Lord, people in the church going to be her husband. She's 15 years his senior or something. I'm like, uh-uh. And I finally just told her, I said, listen, you can stay here, submit and learn, grow. We're a church that heals and we help people grow. That's what we do. I said, but if you're going to come in and attack everything, I'm going to ask you to leave. And she started giving me the thus saith the Lord stuff. And I said, it's all good. You don't need to keep going. But you should bow out now. See, listen, listen. What you guys don't understand is that we are behind the scenes always protecting you. We're behind the scenes praying. We don't do it perfectly. I don't want to you know, present something that's inaccurate. But we don't take stuff like that lightly. We've been entrusted to oversee this church. We've been entrusted with the people sitting in the room. So we take that sort of stuff very seriously, and we don't take it lightly. So when someone comes in and accuses, we say, no thanks. You want to grow? We're here to heal. But if you want to take and start throwing stones, no. See, listen, Jezebel was so self-fulfilled, so full of herself, that she exalted herself as the queen of Israel. What's crazy is her name literally means not exalted. Her own dad sold her to Ahab as a wife when she didn't want him. He dishonored her for gain. This is the woman she, literally, when you see people struggling with this, they're often people who've been rejected, misused, maligned, abused. Listen, let me say it like this. There's always a person in there that needs to be healed. But when they resist healing, a demon will take up presence and own that stuff. And, and I'm going to show you that now by jumping back into the, the 1 Kings 18 and 19. We're going to talk about that a little bit. So if it's Jezebel... Who the heck's Jezebel and what, what, what's going on in this story? So how many of you guys remember Elijah? Most everybody has heard the name Elijah. If you don't, you probably know an Elijah. It's a popular name. Elijah was a prophet of God. Now, Elijah was a dude who brought some umph. He, like, he said, don't rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. He says, rain, and it rains. When, when he passes the buck to Elijah, there's chariots of fire doing battle. I mean, this guy saw some supernatural stuff. So the prophets of Jezebel, Ahab, king and queen, they have the prophets of Baal, Baal, however you want to say it, 450 of them. And then there's another additional 400 prophets of Asherah. So 850 false prophets, pagan prophets, people who sacrifice and worship false gods. And Elijah's God's prophet. And this is what Elijah says. And this is 1 Kings 18.21. You take notes. I'm going to do this pretty quickly. It says, Elijah came near to the people and he said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? Watch what he says. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if it's Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a single word. So this is going on, and he's just kind of like the people are silent. So, so Elijah does this. He says, I'll tell you what. Why don't we do this? Why don't we set up a couple altars? We'll put an oxen on each altar. We'll stock it with wood, and we'll call down fire from heaven. And whichever altar, whichever God consumes the, the fire from heaven, with the, the sacrifice of the fire from heaven, that, that one will be God. You know what's crazy? I'll go, this is a great idea. I, I mean, sometimes I think, like, I would never do something that dumb. And I think, yeah, I probably would. Anyways, <laughs> so I love this, though, because all of these prophets, they're doing all sorts. They're dancing. They're cutting themselves. They're doing all kinds of crazy. And, and Elijah's like, stirring them on. He's egging them on. And then finally he does this. It, this is in verse 27 of 1 Kings 18. It says, it came about at about noon that Elijah mocked them. I, like, I think this is great. Like this is, there's 450 of them. 
in Elijah. And technically there's 850, but 450 that are actually operating in the sacrifice at this moment. And then he said to them, he said, hey, why, why don't you call out with a loud voice? You know, because he is a God. And then he goes, well, well maybe he's occupied. Like, like maybe he's not listening because he's just a little busier. Or watch, watch, maybe he's gone aside. That literally means he's going to the bathroom. You ever had your kids knock on the door and you're like, leave me alone. That, that, that like, maybe he's just totally ignoring you. Maybe he's busy going to the bathroom. Maybe, maybe he's on a journey and like, you know, in other words, your God is not everywhere all the time. My God is. That's what he's saying. Or perhaps he fell asleep and you need to be a little louder and wake him up. Man, he's just roasting them. So then, then he says this, listen, why don't we do this? Why don't we pour water all over the altar? And then Elijah does it again. He pours so that it's, the water's overflowing. Now, how many of you guys know that if you're trying to light a fire, water's not real good for it? Yeah. Ever try to light wet wood on a camp, camping trip? It's very difficult. It smolders. It doesn't really light up. So he says, listen, just pour water on it. Pour water on it. They call down fire. Nothing happens. Elijah calls down fire, and it licks up the whole thing. And then God says, good. Now kill the prophets. 850 of them. Kills all the prophets. So that's the backdrop of Jezebel and Elijah. And now we're going to talk about what Jezebel does. And we're going to do this by stepping into the next part of this, the command that God gives back in Revelation. And then we're going to go backward into 1 Kings in just a second. So Revelation, back in Revelation chapter 2, verses 21 to 23. Now he's talking about Jezebel. He says, I gave her time to repent. She does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I'm going to throw her on a bed of sickness. And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches minds and hearts, and I will give to each one according to their deeds. He says, repent, change your ways, look the opposite way. Listen, he, this is how serious God is. He says, I promise sickness to those who commit adultery with her. You know what's funny? Like, none of us think when we walk into a church that there's a whole bunch of immorality going on or sexuality. You know, we don't think that everybody's shacking up, right? And, like, I mean, this is actually kind of funny. Um, well, maybe it's not so funny. I was college pastor. This is 30 years ago now, a long time ago. And my college ministry was growing. It was really big. And, and I was sitting in the room like we had worship going, and I'm getting ready to preach. And I'm in the back of the room. And Pastor Dan walked in. Like, he hadn't ever come to the college ministry and he walks down, he sits down, he goes, wow, this is good. You know, probably 80 kids there, so it's pretty good. Actually, bigger group than what we have here this morning, actually. And, and, we're, and I'm sitting there, and he, he leans over me, he goes, yeah, I bet you they're all sleeping together. I, I look at him, I go, what? we're like in worship, man. I go, really? Come on. I'm like, come on. And I go, no. I go, I know these kids. No, that's not going on. Sure enough, I had somebody, actually two people that week come and tell me. One of them was pregnant. So, so listen, we don't often think that that stuff is happening in our midst, but it often is. Now, if I fast forward to modern day and I say, hey, pornography, how much is that impacting us? How much is sexuality on our televisions? How much do we entertain it? It's, it's everywhere. You can't get, you walk through the mall, Victoria's Secrets, like, like when I was a kid, that would have been like a, a Playboy magazine. Yeah. It would have been that bad. But today, that's just on billboards everywhere. It's everywhere. You can't get away from it. So, so is that kind of pollution around us? Yeah, and then he says, listen. He says, I'm going to bring sickness on those who commit immorality. Listen, 
I'm going to say this really strongly. I want you to understand. This is not condemning. This is to check you. Okay, if you are a believer sinning in sexual immorality, perversion, pornography, cohabitating, adultery, um, same sex, I don't care what it is, any form of sexual immorality, listen, the bed of sickness awaits. And sometimes we don't think God is serious. We don't think he's serious. But he's taught, this is Jesus talking to a church and he's saying, listen, I'm going to throw those who commit immorality with her onto a bed of sickness. See, this is so important because God started by saying this, repent. He started with a simple opportunity. You just need to stop doing what you're doing wrong and do what's right. See, understand this about God. He's bound by his justice. Wait, wait, let, me, let me explain this to you. Sometimes people struggle with this. God's a forgiver, amen? Yes. We all like that about God, don't we? Yes. I like that. Listen, I'm as big a mess up as there's ever been. And I'm not talking pre-Jesus. I'm talking yesterday. Okay, like, I'm that guy. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes all the time. And I am grateful for the blood of the cross. I'm really grateful for it. But, but listen, listen. When we think that we can live in a lifestyle of sin and that somehow God is going to just ignore it, we're deluded. See, God is bound by his justice to execute judgment. What does that mean? He can't, he can't offer mercy that is not sanctified. So when we don't repent, come on, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, there is a piece of this where God has done the work. We enter into it through our confession and repentance. I heard a guy on, on TikTok, I think it was yesterday, he kept saying, it's all done, it's all done. And, I, and, and then I thought, I got I to gotta read the comments on this one because he was not accurate biblically. And all the comments were just citing scriptures, 1 John 1, 9 and others. So he had a nice preliminary thought that needed to bring the justice of God into it. So God is definitely a forgiver, amen, but he's also going to be somebody who brings about judgment and justice. So God searches minds and he knows hearts. So who is Jezebel or the spirit of Jezebel? And how does that impact us? See, the Jezebel spirit, it's rooted in control and manipulation. Um, it's gender neutral, and it always wants control. It wants power, money, and influence. A lot of times they will come into churches. They'll come into your families. They'll nudge up alongside you. They'll try to be your best friend. They'll buy you stuff. They'll do things for you. They'll want to be your armor bearer and carry everything around for you. They'll do things that are unnecessary, unwarranted, and really what it is, it's, they're trying to get next to the top dog so that they can be realized as a person of influence and power. That's often how that spirit will operate. So, so watch, watch. If this is a particular thing, um, and, and I believe it to be both biblically and, and experientially, um, there are six things that we should pay attention to, you and I in the room right now. Six things that make us more susceptible than other areas of life. The first one is this, it's insecurity. Listen, if you're somebody who struggles greatly with insecurity, incidentally, your pastor's hand is raised. What do they think about me? Why didn't I get invited? How come they didn't include me? That's kind of lame. Why didn't they like my post? Anybody? Am I talking to anybody right now? Yeah. You start to read into everything. Why don't, and you get kind of, uh, those are sorts of people, that, because you'll start to use manipulation to get noticed. It becomes very, very dangerous. How about this one? If rejection is part of your history, this is another one that is a, a serious open door. 
If you've gone through a lot of rejection, this is stuff that is an open door because if you've been rejected, you will control and guard so you don't get rejected again. See, listen, again, it's a control manipulative spirit. Now, mind you, there's a person that's brokenhearted that often will gravitate toward this. The person themselves, they aren't evil. Somebody say amen. The spirit, however, is evil. It's out to destroy you, to kill you, to do all of that. The next one is this. They operate in a lot of pride. They, they just think they're all that and a bag of chips. They're self-sufficient. They're the best. They're good. Listen, listen. Pride comes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up in due season. God hates pride. It's the sin of Satan, literally. So when you operate in pride, it's an open door. It makes you more susceptible. Arrogance. This is when you bra you're braggadocious. You're always talking about yourself. Somebody says, I caught a fish this big, and this is me. I caught a fish this big. Somebody says, I hit a ball that far. I go, oh, well, I hit a ball just a little further. Somebody, you get me? We're always one-upping everything. It's born out of insecurity. It's born out of self-reliance. And then this one is another one, manipulation. We try to manipulate situations, circumstances to our benefit. And, and the last one is this, control. You just have to be in control all the time. The kids need to look perfect. The house needs to look perfect. Um, you, you can't let anybody have a one-upsman on you. If you're on a team, you're the leader. If you're in a committee, you're the leader. You've got to be the voice being heard. You've got to talk. And people need to what? These are all flags. Incidentally, this does not mean that you have this. I'm saying these are susceptibilities. These are open doors. These are ways that the enemy comes in and he says, here's a way you can get what you want. Here's a way you can do, get what you want. Here's, here's an angle. See, the, the Jezebel spirit, it's manipulating. It's controlling. It's an arrogant spirit that controls through fear. I'm going to show you that right now. Now, Jack Hayford had a great quote. So when you're dealing with this stuff, remember there's a person that you want to love and there's a spiritual dynamic that you need to correct. And I love this. I was in a class and he said, listen, you can't cast out the flesh. Like, listen, if somebody's living in sin, call out their sin. That's not a demon. It's because they're living in what? Sin. He says this, nor can you disciple a demon. You ever tried really hard to get somebody to understand and they still just keep doing the dumb stuff? Very likely, there's demonic oppression in there somewhere. Very likely that that is being stemmed out of something beyond them. You cannot disciple or can't cast out the flesh and you can't disciple a demon. So four effects of the Jezebel spirit. Again, we're trying to understand if Jesus said this is bad and it's like setting up Satan in the church, we want to understand these things. Jezebel controls through the first one is fear. And I'm going to walk through all of these with you. The first one is fear. The second one is isolation. The third one is exhaustion. I'm going to show you this from Elijah. And the fourth one is depression. Now, I could have done many more. I'm trying to make this not a 15-page sermon. By the way, when it's 15 pages, we're here until 1230, and you guys are all upset with me. So I'm trying to stay in my timeline. I better go fast. Anyway, so the first thing, fear. So Elijah calls down fire. He kills the prophets. And now this is the very next thing that happens. He just killed 850 false prophets, and watch what happens. 1 Kings 19, verse 1 through 3, and it says, Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, 
So may the gods do to me, and even more, if I don't make your life as the life of one of those tomorrow about this same time. In other words, I'm going to get you. And he was afraid, and he arose, and he ran for his life. He came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. It literally says he was so afraid that it impacted him physically, spiritually, emotionally. It impacted his entire being. Ever been so afraid of somebody? They strike fear in you so deeply that you can't even compose your old being. Now watch, watch. Here's something to pay attention to. Anytime you've had great victory, guard yourself. He just had great victory, yes? yes. And the very next thing, he's fleeing out of what? Fear. fear. Why was God so powerful just a verse earlier, and now he can't handle one woman? Help me. But this is the nature of the Jezebel spirit. It controls, it throws fear it, it, it attacks your entire being. See, listen, Jezebel, and this is back to, to Revelation, according to Revelation, only has power when you, listen, tolerate it, when you allow it. Jezebel doesn't have power when you don't allow her to have power. I'll get into that in a second. I had another thought, but it, it actually flows in my notes better in just a second. So, again, all of this control stuff, it's all rooted in rejection, it's rooted in insecurity. Um, remember, Jezebel's father gave her to Ahab because he gained from it. It was a political alliance. So, so I want to talk to some of you folks, and I don't want you to raise your hand, but I know you're in the room because I, I'm in the room and I happen to be one of these. How many of you are control freaks? It's just got to be so. You're like, well, maybe not freak. Freak's a strong word, Pastor. Freak's strong. I like being in control. But not, okay, so watch, watch, just a, a couple of things, a couple of things that maybe you should pay attention to. It's funny, because I heard type A from the audience. Yeah, with both hands up and feet up, I'm totally type A. In the, the current assessment we use, I'm a really high D, which is a driven, task-oriented person. I get things done, and a lot of times I run people over while I'm doing it. And then you say, yeah, but it's all for kingdom. Well, okay. Says me, not the person who just got run over. Okay, so anyways. Control freaks are often impacted by the spirit. Watch, and you'll say stuff like this. You excuse control by saying, listen, I'm just being diligent. This needs to get done, and I'm somebody who gets things. It's a flag. Doesn't mean you have it. It means pay attention. You know, this is the way that things should be. And if I don't do something about it, then they won't be that way. So i got to step in and do this. Okay? Danger. Again, Danger possibility. Listen, I don't know why everybody's so uptight. Like, God made me this way. If I don't do this, this isn't in order. By the way, I've actually said that. Just telling you straight up, I have actually said that. I am here because I have a strong leadership gift, and I have a strong administrative gift, and that's how things happen. I don't know why everybody's so uptight about it. Melinda's sitting there, she's like, oh, yeah, that's him. <laughs> she works for me, by the way. So, so listen, the reasons or the outcomes shouldn't be the reasons you justify the misuse of control power by manipulating, condemning, using guilt, shame. Like, how many times have I, I'm pointing at Melinda because I just see her and she works for me and she has for how many years? Long. Yeah, 17 years she's worked for me. So, 17 years she's seen the good, bad, and the ugly. Okay. A lot of ugly, too, I'm just saying. But, but how many times have I said, man, I don't know why, like, people are just weak. Why don't they just get it done? 
Some of you are like, I'm, I'm not following him anymore. Hey, listen, I'm being like, <laughs> Jesus ain't done with me yet, okay? I'm just saying. And I'm also trying to be really transparent because this is the kind of thinking that we have that justifies and makes us blind to the fact that we may be manipulative, controlling, that we may be leaning toward operating in an ungodly spiritual environment instead of a godly one. Like, I get it. There's places to toe the line and be diligent. Amen. I think God honors diligence. I'm not throwing everything out. What I'm saying is the heart that's behind the drive. Why do you need to be in control? Why do you need to be top dog? Why is your opinion the strongest opinion? Why does it need to be done your way? Ask these questions of yourself because you may be getting impacted more strongly than you think you are. Listen, let me say this. Let me give you a doubt. But he's like, uh-oh, I got a demon. Now breathe, man. Come on, breathe. I don't know a single person. We were talking about this on the way down in the car. And I said to my wife, I go, I go, do you know anybody who doesn't struggle with control? She goes, no. I go, me neither. I don't know a single person who doesn't. It's part of the fall. Part of the fall. It's part of us being redeemed people living in a sinful world and still contending. Like Paul said, you know, I, I want to do this and I don't do it. I don't want to do that and I do it. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me? from this body of death. And he says, praise be to God through Jesus Christ. See, that's why it's so important to be bowed low to Jesus because he's not looking for perfection. He's looking for process. He's always growing us. Listen, if you're the same person you were three or four years ago, that's a flag. You should be growing. If you've regressed, you should be growing. If, you, if you've gotten casual about your walk with God, you, listen, you should be, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to say, pay attention. Listen, I need to say this strongly only because I just feel an unction from God, if you will. I'm saying it this strongly because as we look around our world, we look at the pressures and the trouble, the wars and rumors of wars, we cannot be ignorant to think we can ignore times when God convicts us. Listen, if God is saying, pay attention, like if you've got that ding going, ding, God's saying, I'm talking to you. You should do what? You should listen. Listen, if you're not getting the ding, it's just a sermon. It's all good. But I would like to think that when God puts something that heavily on me, that we're probably supposed to be paying attention to something. Doesn't mean you're evil. Doesn't mean you're demonized. Doesn't it? It means this, that God is trying to do something in you and you may not be giving him permission to. One of the things I love about God is he waits for our invitation. He really does. Listen, God can do anything, amen? Can do anything. But he chooses to work within our will. I want you to choose this. There's times he'll whoop up on you. He'll make life really uncomfortable. Anybody ever had God make life really uncomfortable? Hello, I just spent the last two months recovering from a stupid surgery that was very uncomfortable and I had a lot of time to lay around and listen. Incidentally, when you study the book of Revelation and you have a lot of time to lay around and listen, God gets up in your business. And you start finding yourself going, okay, God, this is more me than I thought it was, huh? And he's like, yeah. But if you want to teach it with authority, then do business with me. So when you walk in the room, you can help people grab it. You can help people feel the liberation that comes when you're honest with God, transparent. Listen, when we don't resist what he's doing in us, everyone struggles with control. Listen, ask yourself a few questions. Do others fear what my response will be? Do they not say things because they're worried about how I will react? Do others do things because they're trying to appease me? They're trying to make me okay so that I don't erupt? I'm telling on myself way too much right now. 
Listen, these are all things that are identifiers. Is fear part of your makeup? Do you operate because you're in fear? Do you use fear within your operation? The next one is this, that there's isolation going on. So 1 Kings 19, this is verses 3 and 4. And, and this is Elijah says, he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life. He came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down under the juniper tree, and he requested for himself, listen, that he should die. And he says, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. Boo-hoo-hoo, woe is me. He says, listen, he himself went, listen, he isolated himself. Listen, if you isolate yourself, that is a what? Flag. It's a warning. You should pay attention if you operate with a lot of isolation. It says that he himself isolated himself. I want to talk to you for a second. What's the difference between isolation and solitude? Have you ever thought about this? Listen, solitude is when you get alone with God. This is good. This is good. You should have times where you're a solitude and you get alone with God so you can listen. You can read, you can pray, you can worship, you can discern his voice. You get what I'm saying? We should have times where we're focused on God. Isolation is when you get alone with you. Anybody ever been alone with themselves? I don't like me when I'm like that, by the way. I bug me. I get in my head and I naysay and I talk negative and everything. This all stinks. Stupid this, that's stupid. I hate this, I hate that. Like even this morning, I was getting ice for my thing, and the, 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 the fridge door, I'm colorblind. The fridge door, they did the same color a little bit. I can't see it. I literally can't see the color of the stuff. On So I go to get ice, and it's water, and it squirts all over my hand, and I go, I, I hate this stupid fridge. Thing's brand new. It's like literally like three months old. It's brand And I caught myself, and my daughter heard me, I'm like, oh, I'm not supposed to say I hate stuff. I wish that this fridge had numbers on it that I could actually see. That would be cool. But I don't hate the fridge. It gives me ice and water every single day. But, but that sense of, uh, am I talking to anybody? That's, when you watch those things in you, you should stop. So isolation is not good. This is when you get alone with you. Solitude is good. It's when you get alone with God. See, isolation is an effect of a Jezebel spirit. They scare you, then they get you to go and hide. Guys, getting what I'm saying? Are you tracking with me? Just say, okay. So this is how you know that you're in trouble. You know, I just need some alone time. I just need to be alone. Now, by the way, alone time's not bad. Somebody say amen. But it's when it's like always. Just need to be alone. Just going to put in my headphones and ignore the world and scroll social media. Oh, wait, wait, but... What's the problem? I'm listening to worship. <laughs> Am I telling on someone right now? <laughs> telling on me, that's for sure. Like my wife said, you have headphones in all the time. And I went, well, yeah, but I'm, I'm listening to it. Like it's productive stuff. Like I'm cleaning the garage and I'm listening to something. And she's like, no, but we're, we're in the room and we can't, you're not present. And so she, this was just a few days ago and I went, okay, I need to be more attentive to not tuning and when I started studying this, I went, maybe I'm doing this. Maybe you are. I don't know. Just putting it out there. Maybe think through. 
I just need alone time. I just want to watch TV. I just want to scroll social media. I need some me time. By the way, me time is not what? Bad. It's not bad. But when that becomes the everything you do, that pattern, when you're checking out of life because you want to watch TV, when you're checking out of life because you're on social media, when you're checking out of the responsibilities because the pressure's too high, you're afraid, you isolate, those are all things you should pay attention to. When you start thinking this way, man, I'm the only one who cares anyways. Ever said that? These are all things that you should say. This is a warning. This is something I should pay attention to. The next thing is this. So you've got fear. You've got isolation. Now you're going to get exhaustion. So he's moving along, and, he, and he's trying to figure out, how do I reconcile all this? And now this is back to 1 Kings um, 19. We're going to go 4 through 8 this time. He says, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down under the juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. It'd be better if I was just gone. And he said, it's enough, O Lord, take my life. I'm not better than my father's. Then he laid down and he slept under the juniper tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him. And he said, arise, eat. Then he looked and behold, there, there was a head, a head of bread. Wait, I read that wrong. That, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank and he laid down again. Okay, then the angel of the Lord came to him a second time and he touched him and he said, arise, eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb to the mountain of God. So Elijah's first thing is like, yeah, I just want to die. It'd be, it'd be better if I were gone. Now, now what, watch, this is important for you to kind of catch some of the nuances. It, like you will think it's better for me to die or you might think something like this. Man, my buddy just went home to the Lord. That's cool. Lucky him. He doesn't have to deal with all this stuff anymore. Listen, when you start being jealous of people that have gone on to glory, you should check your heart. Because it might mean that you're struggling with even forcing, like, like operating in life on a daily basis. Like, incidentally, can I tell you guys, I have struggled with every single thing I'm showing you right now. Like not, and I'm not talking like, oh, I struggled with this 20 years ago. I'm talking about, I mean, if you guys know my life, the last two or three years have been difficult. Thing after thing after thing, and you're kind of like, okay, what the heck, man? And you start to lose heart, and you start to pull away, and you start to isolate, and you start to operate in fear, like I just want to survive. If I survive, that's good enough, right? That's right? That's good enough, isn't it? That's what's going on in your head. You're justifying it. You're, you're battling with your own thoughts, and you're giving yourself permission. So he sleeps, he lays down again, he eats and he drinks, and, and he, he's strengthened again. Like, like, listen, if you have street sleep problems, like you want to sleep all the time or you can never sleep, or how many of you guys have like the, the 3 a.m. wake-up call every day? Now, by the way, when it's a nudge from God to pray, somebody say hallelujah. Okay, but, but when it's the, the anxiety of your dreams and your thoughts, your worries and your fears, you, wake, you go to bed worrying, you wake up worrying, Incidentally, control, fear, worry, anxiety, they're all bedfellows. They're all rooted together. And this is what Jesus said, man, you tolerate this stuff. The only reason it's impacting you is because you let it happen. You're allowing it in. So you should check. If those things are going on for you, you should really check. 
Listen, the, the temptation with this is to move away from God, to move out of faith, to move out of security, to get into your head, to move into fear, to move into depression, to move into discouragement. Woe is me. Everybody's against me. Everything's stupid. It's all stupid. I can't, this is dumb. This is just dumb. Anybody with me? These are all identifiers that this is impacting you. I'm going to suggest to you that it's impacting probably more of us than we want to give credit to. We watch Elijah, greatest victory, operates in fear. Greatest victory, isolates himself. Greatest victory, I'm just so worn out, just so exhausted. And, man, I've been doing this 17 years, God. 17 years dealing with the same problems, the same people, this grumble, grumble, grumble. Yeah, yeah. Am I talking to anybody? Well, listen, instead of this, I've had the privilege of doing this for 17 years. I've had the privilege of discipling people for 17 years. I've had the privilege of teaching the Word of God for 17 years. I've had the privilege of marrying, burying, baptizing, laughing with, crying with, praying with, standing with people that love God whom I love. See, it's the same thing, just looked at a different way. You see what I'm saying? It's really important that we don't ignore this kind of stuff. Because it's taking place in your world. It's taking place with your job. It's taking place with your husband, your wife, your kids. It's taking place in your world. And you may not realize that it's spiritually oriented. And the way that you break it, I'm going to talk about that in a second. But you've got to work with it spiritually if you're trying to get free from something that is spiritual. The last thing is this, is you just move into full-blown depression. Elijah, I just want to die. God, take my life. Be easier if I was gone. You know, Elijah literally asked God to kill him. That's how you know you're in a bad spot. Just take me home. By the way, Elijah's in pretty good company. Moses did this. Jeremiah did this. Jonah did this. There are lots of patriarchs who struggled with this level of depression. I'm not saying it's righteous. I'm saying it's real. Get what I'm saying? So if you're struggling with this, listen, no stones thrown. Pay attention, though. So here, like, just some insights, some additional insights, warning. If you say stuff all the time, like, I'm depressed. I, I say this all the time. Depression's real. You see it in the scriptures over and over. You see it in the patriarchs. I'm not ignoring this. But when you own it, it becomes your identity. Don't own it. You can be depressed and not be depressive all the time. You can say, this, this season is hard, but I'm going to trust in God. This season is hard, but I'm going to pray and supplicate. And I'm going to trust God. All of us get hit by life, amen? All of us do. Not any one of us in the room doesn't get hit. But when you start owning depression, you start to think like this, man, it's a good time to die. You know, like I thought this, man, man, if, Jesus, if you want to take me home, I feel like crud anyways. I had two months feeling like crud. If you're normally an active person, you have two months of feeling like crud, like you do a half an hour or something, you sleep for two hours because you don't have the energy to do anything else. And you're like, this stinks, man. I just want to get better. I'm not that old. I keep having to go, you're just old. Listen, can I say something to you? That is a curse. I'm 57. God, I'm not dead. I'm not dead. And I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and my body heals. Amen. Why did it take so long? I think because God is doing business with me, not because my body's jacked up. That's what I think. So I'm like, people keep saying, oh, well, you know, you're getting older. You're, you are old now. And the doctor, well, you don't heal as fast because you're old. And I'm like, get behind me, Satan. Forget you. 
I don't listen to the curse of doctors and I shouldn't listen to the curse. But when you're hurting and you're laying on the sofa and a week goes by and two weeks go by and four weeks go by and the fifth week and the sixth week and you're like, maybe they're right. Maybe they're, no, it's a curse. And I had to start praying over myself. God, what do you say? I'm a healer. I sent my word to heal your disease. Okay, God, you sent your word. You sent Jesus to heal my disease. I want that. I want that. I'm losing heart, though, God. I, this is hard. I'm frustrated. I want to clean the garage. Can't even clean the garage. Hey, you can put two cars in my garage right now because I cleaned the garage finally. I had a good enough day to actually, and I feel pretty good. Like, Grace asked me, I go, ah, no, I, I think I'm better. But yeah, I'm even cautious saying it. You, you guys with me? See, these are all identifiers. They're looking at me like, you got to land the plane. It's getting late. We still got to take communion. You guys seem pretty engaged, so I'm not going to go way longer, but I, I'm still going to get through. So I said, man, God, you know, you can take me home. My kids are all walking with Jesus. They're doing really well. Like even in our Thanksgiving notes, my, right, my wife wrote, all the kids are doing well. Thankful for that. See, see you start to like... You know, if you have thoughts of quitting, you want to quit your work, you want to quit your marriage, you want to quit your life, you want to quit your ministry, just be easier to start over. And, and listen, this is when it's really dangerous. When you start planning your way out and how you're going to do that, that that's dangerous stuff. Well, what about this? And, and we often ignore this part of this. It, it's, you start to have sexually impure thoughts. Like lust starts to become very difficult. Ladies, for you, it's often more, more directed at romanticizing things. You live in a false world, in a, in a facade, in a, in a lack of reality. Pornography becomes front and center in these windows. I know that that is, generally speaking, a more male-dominated thing, but I know women struggle with it as well. Pornography, sexualizing your husband, sexualizing your wife. You start to entertain other people, like you even do social media searches, and you look for old girlfriends or boyfriends. I'm, I'm bringing it real right now. You guys, I need to understand that. These are all flags. They're warning signs. What about if you start having dreams all the time and these dreams are sexually explicit? Having dreams about wrong things, other people. Could even be your spouse. But it's just like, why am I having sexual immorality as part of the just, just saying? You may be open. What about if you have strange and prolonged sickness, weird physical complications, Garages that burn, abscesses randomly, pretty healthy, and you get COVID and it nearly takes you out over and over. And you start to go, wait, is this impacting me, God? I start to study, is this impact? This is, this is, like when I started to study, I'm like, a lot of these things are things that have occurred in my life. And I'm bringing them front and center for you to say, hey, do you need to be reading the spiritual landscape of your life? That's the question I'm asking. Because if you're not, then you're not even aware that maybe you're getting attacked and you might even be listening, losing, and you're not even aware. Not even considering that it's a possibility. Okay, let me, I'm, I'm going too slow. Listen to me. Listen, listen to me. Don't let people speak curses over you. Not that you're getting older. Well, you know the family you grew up in. You know that, you know, considering what you've been through, you're actually pretty well adjusted. I think Jesus said something like, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. 
Like, and I'm not trying, like I get we're works in progress, but I think when we start to justify brokenness, we live out of brokenness instead of out of hope and transformation possibilities. Does this make sense? So I just think that it's a bigger deal than we might make it out to be. Listen, this spirit, it's trying to kill your, your peace, your joy, your confidence. It's trying to literally kill you. It'll do it through accidents and other sorts of stuff. It's trying to destroy you with depression and with fear. You know, and, and, and I love this with Elijah. Like, like, he starts to rehearse his answers. You guys ever rehearsed your answers? Like, next time I talk to this person, this is what I'm going to say. Well, watch what he does. This is 1 Kings 19. It, it, God says, oh, hey, what are you doing? And this is his answer. Oh, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. The sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars. They killed the prophets with the sword, and I alone am left. They seek my life. They're going to take it away. Okay, watch. Then Elijah's seeking God. He's at the cave opening. He's seeking God. And he's looking for the voice of God. And, and in that, there's a strong wind. Did he find God in the strong wind? No. Then there's an earthquake. Did he find God in the earthquake? No. Then there's a fire. Did he find God in the fire? No. Then there's a gentle whisper. And he takes his and he covers his face because he realizes this is the voice of God. And God says to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? Now watch verse 14. Then he says to him, remember the rehearsed answer, been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They tore down your house and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left. They seek my life to take it away. Wait, wait, wait. If you're giving God the same answers, and you're not owning responsibility, God asks a simple question, why are you here? Not the parroted, I'm justifying why I'm here. Why are you actually here? Because I'm afraid. I operated in victory, now I'm operating in fear. I've isolated, I'm exhausted. But listen, the right response to that is, God, I need your presence. I need you to walk me out of this season. So how do you get free? How do you get free? Here's the first thing. You get a word from God. Elijah literally got a word from God. The Lord spoke to him, and he tells him what to do next and where to go. Listen, I would encourage you, seek godly counsel. Get people around you who don't tell you what you want to hear, but tell you what God is saying. That's not easy to find, incidentally. But get people who will speak the life of God, the direction of God. And then listen, this almost is elementary, but listen to the word that God gives you. Listen, and then take action. If you don't take action, nothing changes. It doesn't change. You can know what God said to do and do nothing, and you're still in the same spot that you were in. Take action. So this letter does approach a little bit differently. We're going to head back to Revelation. I'm going to wrap this up, and we're going to take communion. So listen, could this be affecting you? Maybe. Do you have a demon? No, no, no that's not what I'm suggesting. Does your wife have a demon? Does your husband? No, no, that's not what I'm suggesting either. What I am suggesting to you, there's a lot of spiritual movement around you that is producing some immorality and some sexual perversion and some manipulation, control, worry, fear, and you succumb to it. And when you succumb to it, it controls you instead of you having authority over it. So what God wants us to do is be people who walk in authority. Doesn't mean you won't have hard times. We all do. But it means that you're seeking God. You're looking for a word from God. You're getting godly counsel. And when God shows you what to do, you, come on, you do it. 
That's the biggest gap I see in Christianity, period. Period. Is that God will show somebody what to do and then they don't what? Just don't do it. So back to Revelation. This is chapter 2, verse 24 now. We'll wrap this up and take communion. He says, but I say to you, and the rest who are in Thyatira, who, who do not hold this teaching. In other words, they reject the teaching of Jezebel, who do not own the deep things of Satan. So that stuff is all entertaining Satan, literally. And as they call them, I have no, no other burden on you at all. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. So even if you're doing it right, don't give up. That's what Jesus just said. Hold fast. Don't let go. Have power over it. Stay firm. Don't get weak in your thoughts. And then he says, and here's the promise, verse 26, to him who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end. In other words, finish the race. Say this with me. Finish the race. We've all been called to finish the race. To him, I'm going to give, listen, authority over nations. That's big authority, you guys. And he shall rule with a rod of iron. In other words, firm and authoritative authority from God. As the vessel of the potter of broken pieces, as I, have, as I also have received authority from my Father, and I will give them, listen, the morning storm is showing in a second, that's Jesus. And he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. This authority, this is a position in heaven. You need to understand what he's promising. He said, finish till the end, and I'll give you authority over nations. You guys know when you get to heaven, there's authority, and there's still nations. Hello? You guys awake? You guys are like, Pastor, you just beat the heck out of us with the Jezebel. No, no, I'm trying to equip you to discern and understand the direction to take and what to do. Watch it in Revelation 20, verse 4. This is just speaking of authority. It says, then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. This is the people who finish. This is you and I, potentially. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the, their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and they had not received the mark of the beast on their forehead or their hand. Listen, and they came to life, watch, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. They reigned with him. That is called authority. He's going to give you authority and he's going to give you a rod of iron to be strong in leadership. And he says this, I'm going to give you the authority of my father. Just how much authority does God the Father have? <laughs> so how many of you guys want to operate with all authority? I mean, I want it to be way surrendered to God. Somebody say amen. But man, I want to walk, I want to walk out my, my journey of faith as somebody who operates in victory. Not up, down, up, down, up, down. Somebody who walks out in victory. And I don't think that if we pay attention to some of the things that might be impacting us, that we're even aware that we need to take authority over something. It's why I brought all this to you, because I'm like, wow, this is crazy. He said, I'm going to give you the authority of the Father. And this is what Jesus says in Revelation 22:16. And, and Santosh, you can come on up now. We're going to take communion together. I'm going to wrap up right now. Revelation 22, verse 16, he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify of these things for the churches. He said, I'm a, I am the root and the descendant of David. Listen, the bright and the morning star. So the promise in this one, listen, Jesus is saying, I promise you me. 
I, I don't know if there could be a better promise than the, the Redeemer who sacrificed his life for you saying, hey, you finish this race, you take authority over this stuff, you get the fullness of who I am. You get me. See, I think that's beautiful. So we look at some of the dark that goes on in this particular chapter. We look at the difficulty. We look at the spiritual dynamic of it. We look at the sexual immorality and the idolatry. And we go, man, God, is that me? Listen, the simple thing with this, we're going to take communion in just a second. Holy Spirit goes, yeah, you're dealing with this. You're doing this. You're not dealing with, you know, like, okay, i give a couple of examples. And then we're going to take communion for real this time. I'm not landing the plane twice. It's just this once. I'm just landing it once. When you start to allow things within your household that are ungodly, you stop saying, this is wrong. I don't want that in the house. I don't want that music, that language, that booze, that lifestyle, that cohabitating. That I don't. We all have people in our houses that we're trying to love and lead. When you start to not speak truth to things that are broken, you are actually operating and inviting a spiritual dynamic that is, listen, very ungodly and potentially dangerous not only to you, but to everybody in the house, not just you. So when you think about this, like how many of you guys want your kids to walk with Jesus? And don't give them permission to act, act out sinfully. Uh, you know, I've shared with you guys oftentimes, I'm not saying cut them off. I'm, ne I'm never a believer in cutting anybody off. Jesus doesn't do it with us. We shouldn't do it with our children. But you shouldn't permit sin and, and just act like it's no big deal. Turn a blind eye to it. You should call it out. And I don't mean meanly. I mean thoughtfully, lovingly. Wash their feet and tell them how much you want them to know Jesus in a deep and profound way. Wash their feet and say, I'm here to serve you. And part of the serving is saying, this is, this is bad for your life. This is ungodly. This is unhealthy. And I would be wrong if I didn't stand up as, as not only your father or your mother, those who are entrusted to not honor God with what I'm saying to you. I, I don't want you to destroy your life. Listen, your job is not to be your family member's best friend. Be friendly, amen? Speak the truth in love. But don't just bow underneath it all. If it's sin, call it out. If it's unrighteous, put it out. Listen, you cannot entertain a Jezebel spirit and keep the spirit of God in the same place. They contend. They battle. A little leaven does, in fact, leaven the whole lot. So listen, I want you all to bow your heads. I want to just walk through a little bit of prayer, and then I'm going to ask some guys to come and serve the rest of us communion. And while they're serving us, Santosh will lead us in a, in a song, and then we'll partake together, and we'll go. Oh, man. Father God, we want to come. I mean, just my heart is... I see how much this impacts just me personally. And I see how much this impacts people I know and I love, people I serve and lead. And Holy Spirit, we want you right now. We just want to give you invitation. Come and search our hearts. Come and show us where we're missing it. When I say that, I mean we're missing it. I am missing it. Not the person I'm looking at across the room. Not the person who lives in the home with me. What are you asking me to do? Is it prayer? Is it worship? Is it love? Is it confrontation? I, I don't know. But Holy Spirit, you said that you are able to make us all wise. 
you're able to show us righteousness for godliness in Christ Jesus. You said you could do that for us, and, and that's the invitation we're giving. We don't want to go hunting under rocks for demons, nor do we want to ignore them. And the only way we could ever discern that is if we're listening to what your spirit is saying to us. So God, we want to together say, where I have missed it, and maybe you list some things in your heart right now. God, I repent, forgive me. God, where I've not operated with authority, humility, where I've leaned to control and fear, worry and anxiety, where I've moved out of faith, out of trusting you, that I've, I've taken matters into my own hands, and I like it if I have some control of what's going on. God, we just want to lay control and fear, worry and anxiety at the foot of the cross and say, God, change us. Give us victory over these things. God, we speak just directly to the demonic oppression, the demonic attack, the spirit of Jezebel that is attacking many homes, households, people that will watch online. I just pray that you would just rebuke it and loose it in Jesus' name, that you would teach us how to stand and pray and do battle. You said that if we'd resist the devil, that he would flee. You said that if we would draw near to you, that you would draw near to us. So God, we call you forth on your promise, and we together right now say, Satan, we resist you. We resist your works. We resist your deception, your lies. We, we resist all of the minions that go with you, the demonic forces of hell that come against us. We resist them in Jesus' name. And we declare this, that, that God is strong, that God is a strong tower, that he that's in me is greater than he that is in the world. God, we lay down fear and we repent for it. We lay down worry and we repent for it. We, we lay down anxiety and we repent for it. God, we take up the mantle of Jesus, the deliverer, the redeemer, the one who frees our souls. And we say, God, lead us in this time. Lead us in this season. Lead us into freedom. Jesus, you said those are the sunsets for me. Thank you. 
Apostle Paul said this, referencing spiritual warfare. And again, just keep your heads bowed. Stay focused at this moment. I just want you to, to hear this spoken over you, like the Word of God spoken over you. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. It says, therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything, stand firm. Stand firm, gird your loins with truth. The truth is Jesus. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Shod your feet with the gospel of peace. Jesus is the gospel of peace. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith, which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Our faith is in Jesus. He's the shield. Take up the helmet of salvation. He covers your thoughts, your head, your rationales. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Jesus is the Word made flesh among us. Father, I pray that we would go in authority, that we would go understanding who we are in you, that we would go with the armor of God, fit in place. firm against them and that we would stand in your strength, not ours. So God, we are so grateful that you rescue us from this dark world. So grateful that you give us tools to live righteously within this dark world. So God, as we get ready to go today, we pray that you break any holds there over us, that you would allow us to walk as light and darkness, loving courageous, servant-hearted, humble. Thank you, Lord. You're so faithful. You're so faithful. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody says, Listen, some of you might need prayer after something like this. And the ministry team is going to come up front and they'll make themselves available to pray with you. So if you need prayer, I'd encourage you to come forward. Don't go to the door. Because you just might need somebody to lay hands on you and believe for you. If you do need to go and you're excused right now, just do so quietly. We're going to keep the lights down. Santosh will keep playing for a few minutes. Ministry team will come up. I think there might be a few of you who need prayer or want prayer. You're welcome to come and get that. If you don't need prayer, then I just want to say God bless you. Go in the favor of God. And just be blessed today. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great rest of your day.